Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, would you read out loud with me at home or here in the room, verse 2 out loud. This is what the ancients were commended for, verse 6. And without faith is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then verse 13. All these people, and we're going to talk about some of them here in a moment, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were, and there's the Christmas word, longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. I want to talk to you today about the power of of faith in your life as we're wrapping up this series on faith promise. We're going to do a bit of a helicopter tour of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I have not been able to preach to you in a few weeks, and so I've just got about two hours worth of material, so just buckle up. No, I really don't. Uh, I want to talk to you, though, about the power of faith in your life. I'd like to start where the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 starts and just ask you just a basic question. What will you be commended for? I got a sticky way of saying that. We're going to put this on the screen for you. I'll just ask that question to you a bit differently. Um, When people tell the story of you, what story will they tell? Whenever someone dies and and I'm asked to do the funeral, I always go meet with the family a few days before. And um, I always do that for a couple reasons. Number one, it's helping the family grieve and just talking about the person they've lost and and remembering things and even laughing. It's just all part of the grief process. And and I tell the family that when I meet with them. But I just ask a few questions and it it helps me to, to make sure that I'm honoring the memory of that person when we have the funeral service. I always ask, though, I say, could you just, could you think or, or uh, write down a, a word or a phrase or maybe just a story that you're going to take from their life? Because when you've lost someone, you're trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to take from their life? And I say, just write it down. Maybe put it on a card and, and, you know, put it on your phone, whatever it is. And so when you remember them, I want you to remember that thing that they put into your life. I want you to take that story of their life with you. Now, I, I just need to tell you, Someone's going to do that about you. And, and when the story of your life is told, what will the story be? You may have heard of uh, Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane is a footballer. For those of uh, us who are in America, that's a, a soccer player. And he plays for Liverpool. Any soccer fans in the room? Okay, like two of you. Right, that's what I thought. Uh, but around the rest of the world, biggest sport in the world, Right. And Sadio Mane is a world-famous soccer player, even though you've probably never, never heard of him, likely, uh, based on your response. But there's this famous picture. We've got it here on the screen. Uh, there's Sadio Mane. He's from the country of Senegal in Africa, and he's carrying with him his, uh, his iPhone, and it's cracked. And he got a little bit of uh, flack over this, and because his, his salary is something like $9 million a year is his contract. And they said, Sajo, you, you, uh, you make $9 million a year. Go get your phone fixed. Why in the world would you walk around with a cracked phone? Because his teammates said, you know, he had this, he just 
kept the phone with a cracked screen. This is what he said. I'm going to read it to you. It's so powerful. Why would I want 10 Ferraris, 20 diamond watches, or two planes? What will those objects do for me and for the world? I was hungry. I had to work in the field. I survived hard times. I played football barefooted. I did not have an education and many other things. But today, with what I earn, thanks to football, I can help my people. I built schools, a stadium. We provide clothes, shoes, food for people who are in extreme poverty. In addition, I give 70 euros a month to all people in a very poor region of Senegal, which contributes to their family economy. I do not need to display luxury cars, homes, trips, or planes. I prefer that my people receive a little of what life has given me. Powerful. When people tell the story of you, what story will they tell? Now, the writer of Hebrews says that the story that we want to have told of us is we want to be commended with what the ancients were commended for, faith. And the writer lists all these people who conquered and overcame and, and were able to endure in the face of great difficulty. And, and the writer is saying, listen, when the story of their life is told, the story that's told is the story of faith. They were commended for their confidence in God for their faith. Now, I I hope that you want to rise in your understanding and practice of faith. That's probably why you're here this morning, is you want some tools on that. Well, if you want to get better at something, pay attention to people who've done it before you and learn from them. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, you you and I need to know what faith is and what faith isn't. And, And there are a lot of ideologies and understandings about faith that people operate with that are not what the biblical writers are talking about when they talk about faith. Uh, one very, very common way that people think about faith is that faith is like a lever or a button. And so life is this giant vending machine, and you take your quarters of faith or whatever is required for the present moment, however much money you've got to feed into the machine, and you put the quarters in the machine, and when you push the button, out comes what you're looking for. That's faith. No, not what the biblical writers mean. For some people, faith is, uh, their understanding of faith is just they have this ability to work up in themselves hope and peace and, and the ability to believe against all odds that they can do it. And so really it's just faith in their own faith. And that's not what the biblical writers are commending to us. Some people think about faith as this blind leap, like, no, I don't need any evidence. You know, if I need evidence, that means I don't have faith. And so it's this blind leap into the dark without any evidence. And uh, I just believe anyway. And and none of those understandings or ideologies about faith are what uh, the ancients were commended for, because that's not biblical faith. So I want to give you uh, one reality about faith from Hebrews chapter 11, and then four implications of that one reality, all from Hebrews chapter 11. Now, you may know this. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes referred to as the hall of fame of faith or the who's who of faith. So let me give you this, uh, this one reality, and then we'll unpack the four implications. Here it is. It's kind of a saying of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen. Faith means who you are going to is the filter for what you're going through. 
Faith means who you're going to is the filter for what you're going through. So the, the writer gives us the, the narrative high points of these people's lives in the opening verses there of, of people maybe you have heard of, Abel, Abel and Enoch. Maybe you've not heard of Abel and Enoch. And he gives us these high moments when they make these decisions based on their faith. And, and then he gives us two that are more famous, Noah, who you know built the ark, and then Abraham. And, and the point the writer is trying to make is that these, these, these people who are people of faith in God, they made decisions in their lives and they filtered those decisions through who they perceived to be in charge of their lives. That was the filter that they used. And so they had things that happened to them like you and I have things happen to us, but they were able to see those things differently because they had something else in mind. Who they were going to filtered what they were going through. Now, the writer tells us a little bit more. He double-clicks on Abraham and tells us a little bit more about Abraham. Abraham is referred to by the great monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, as the father of faith. All three trace their lineage back in one way or another to faith. And and this is what the writer says in, in verse 8. He says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance obeyed and went, (laughs) even though he did not know where he was going. I don't know a better, more apt description of human life and the human experience than to say, I'm not quite sure where I'm going. Can anyone else relate to that? I can absolutely relate to that. But there's, there's an irony in the story of Abraham. He's sent somewhere that he doesn't know or understand, but he went because of who asked him. And, and there are times in your life that that's going to happen. God's going to say to you, hey, you need to go. And your response might be, but I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. And, and God's going to say back to you what he said to Abraham, who is the father of faith, go. And now if Abraham is the father of faith, what that means is Abraham's life is a pattern for the people of God. And we don't go do things based on what we know. We Go do things based on who God is and what God says. And so for Abraham and for you and I, the filter is that God is the filter for what we're going through. I mean, if you wanted to distill faith to its core essence, that's it. So Abraham was going to God and he's going through some places along the way. In other words, God was primary. The the moments and the places and the circumstances and the epochs of Abraham's life, those were secondary. God was primary. Now, I I understand when we talk about faith like this, and you you know, you just kind of like Abraham went and did things that that he just didn't know. The human experience, we need certainty. You know, we want to know where we're going because we lose our way so easily. And, And very honestly, we're upset if someone or something makes us even a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, we were driving home yesterday from uh, being in Dallas with my dad for Thanksgiving and my sister and, and um, uh, my wife's uh, sister and, and niece. And, and so we're, we're driving home in the car and um, my kids, who I love and adore uh, and, and would do anything for, I'd, li- I'd give my life for them, um, they were just the slightest bit, un- I know this is shocking to you, the slightest bit uncomfortable in the back seat of the car. Now, they don't know that back in the day when you traveled somewhere with your family and there were three of you, you all sat in the same seat 
for the five-hour trip, and you would do things like draw the line between you, and you'd be like, don't come over this line or I'm going to kill you. You, you, you. They didn't know that. They had their own separate seat. And in their own separate seat, they were just the least bit uncomfortable, and it made for an uncomfortable ride home, right? That's us. We're, we're just uncom- We just don't like it when people make us uncomfortable. And the reason I'm saying this is you might, you might hear what I'm saying, you know, God told Abram to go, and you might hear this, and you might make the mistake of thinking that what God is saying to you, because you know, I, I came to church today, and I was looking for confirmation that the decision I was getting ready to make is the right decision, and, and the pastor preached on faith, and you, you might hear this, and, and you might baptize what you're doing. And you might rationalize to yourself and say, well, see, you know, God is calling me to do this thing that I've already decided to do. God then becomes the baptizer of your decisions. And so when that happens, what you've done is you've made faith about what you're going through. You've made it about you. Now, I don't know if you heard the uncertainty in Abraham's story. He left his home. He didn't leave his home for a more comfortable version of his home. He's like, well, I'm going to find something more comfortable. Uh, the, the, the text describes him in a couple of very specific, way, specific ways. He says that he was a, uh, a stranger in a, in a foreign country. I'd lived all over uh, the world in some places. So I was born in Africa, and then my dad was a pastor, and so we just lived in different places. And I, I just really honestly, just telling you the, the truth about me, um, everywhere I've ever been or lived, I've just always kind of felt out of place. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in my own skin, but I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll be like, well, is this, is this where, where, where am I? <laughs> I've just kind of been all over. And, and someone, when they ask me, you know, where are you from? I, I, I jokingly say this, but I really mean it. I say, well, I'm from my mother. <laughs> I don't have any other place. I, I don't know what it's like to have a place that's the place, you know. My wife, Andrea, on the other hand, she's the youngest of five, and with the exception of their oldest sister, all five of them lived in the same house, went to the same elementary school, the same junior high, the same high school, and the same college, Mid-America at Nazarene University, who should have given a rebate on my wife because she's the last one, but that's another, another story. I, I, don't, I don't know what that's like, you know, to have a place, like I'm from there. The, the Hebrew writer's trying to evoke for us. He's saying, listen, Abraham, Abraham gave up being from there to go be a stranger. It was unsettling. And this says that he lived in tents. Now, I lived this nomadic lifestyle. There's a picture on the screen of, of, a, of a tent, you know, out in the desert. This is the kind of nomadic lifestyle that Abraham subjected himself to. Now, if you go back into Genesis and you read the story of Abraham and where he came from, his name was Abram at the time, and then God changed his name to Abraham. Abram lived in the city of the ancient city of Ur. They've done all kinds of archaeological digs, got a picture of uh, an archaeological dig in the city of Ur. It's a very cosmopolitan city, very wealthy city. There's a picture here of uh, an artist's rendering of what they think that city looked like. I mean, Abraham had a very comfortable home. It's easy to pick up from the text that Abraham was well off. You don't make a journey like Abraham made if you were poor. He had the resources. He was fine. He was, he was comfortable. He, but he completely upset everything that he knew when he was old. <laughs> I, I'm not quite there yet, but I, I'm getting there in my life. That you get to a point at which you just don't want to add anything new. And you know when someone comes along and they try to get you to add something new, you're like, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. I did that. I already served in the nursery. I raised my kids. 
you're, they're out of diapers now. You know, I'm good. So why, why would he go? I mean, he's got a comfortable life. Why would anybody go? Why would anybody upset where they were, where they were and the comfortable life that they have and, and move to something else? Well, verse 10, because he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Faith changes what I'm willing to go through because of who I'm going to. And because who I'm going to is set, then I have a secure base to do the things that make me uncomfortable that God asks me to do. I I can do it now because I'm secure. I know where I'm headed. And then God can ask me anything. If Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk come to you this week and they say, you know, we're, we're going back up in our rocket. We've proved to all of humanity that we can take someone to speak. We've picked you, but we want you to go. I, I hope I, if I were asked, I would go. I hope you would go. What an incredible adventure. But if, but if Scott Marshall calls you up this week or you get an email from Scott Marshall saying, you know, you know I'm in, on the side, I've been working on a rocket. Pretty sure it's going to work and I need someone to go. Would you go? I, I hope you say no because you're going to die. Why would you say yes to Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and no to me? Why? It's because of who asks, right? This is what's happening for Abraham. Now, there are four implications of this, uh, this reality about faith. Um, if faith is about who I'm going to, well, here's the, here's the first one. Maybe you want to write this down. Faith, faith isn't a force. It's a direction. Faith isn't a force, it's a direction. This is honestly where most people land on faith. They kind of think that faith is this kind of force that opens doors for you in life. And then the more faith that you have, the more open doors come to you. And so what you want to do, if you're going to be a person of faith, is you want to learn to have bigger faith so that you can have a bigger life. And what I do with that force is I make my life better because it's built on an assumption that the point of life is to make my life better. And if, my, if faith is not making my life better, then what's the point of having faith? Now, the writer of Hebrews says this is, this is not the biblical picture of faith. It's, it's, a, it's a direction. He says, again, we read it. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They, so if it's a force and you don't get what you want, then one of two things is true. Either you just don't have enough faith, so it's really your problem, and if you would just get with the program and start trusting God like you should, everything would work out okay, and you just get more faith. Or it's that faith itself doesn't work, so the whole construct of faith is the problem, and maybe you should just reconsider your life philosophy. But the, the biblical writer is not a force. It's a direction. And since it's a direction, you situate yourself and identify yourself with where you're going, not where you are. And so you say about where you are, I'm a foreigner and I'm a stranger this present moment. Where, what I'm going through, what I'm facing, what I'm about, what I've built, this present moment is not my home. So this is what the the writer says. He says, so people who say such things about themselves, I'm a foreigner and a stranger. What they do, they show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been looking for a country they'd left, they would have had the opportunity to return. They would have bailed. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. James Bond was right. The world is not enough. Now you say, well, Scott, but I'm, but I'm still going through things. <laughs> I mean, does God not care about my life? 
Are you saying I should just stop worrying? What are you trying to say? I mean, I need help. Well, this is what faith does for you. Faith changes my present moment by changing my perspective. Faith changes my present moment by changing my perspective. I want you to compare here in Hebrews 11 two uh, back-to-back passages and think about, um, think about your perspective. Here's the first passage, and, and, and he goes on. What more shall I say? He's listed all these heroes of faith. I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword. I mean, like, like, right? Scott, come on. It's in the Bible in black and white. Faith is a forest, Scott. It is, it's exactly what it's saying. What are you talking about? That's the kind of faith I want. I want to do that kind of stuff. But wait. Next passage. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, chains, imprisonment, put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two, killed by the sword, went about in sheepskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Wait, what? If faith is about what I'm going through, and you read that, that first passage, and you think that's the point of faith, and that's what I'm getting in my life in the present moment, then that's good news. Hashtag winning, right? I'm, I'm, I'm winning this thing. But if, if faith is about what I'm going through, and, and, and my life looks more like that second passage, and it's bad news, and things are not working out for me, it's like, guess what? Hashtag losing, not winning. But if faith is who I'm going to, then it changes my perspective on what I'm going through right now, which is how it helps me in the present moment. Think about Noah, the writer of Hebrews 11 says. He endured all kinds of things in the present moment because of who he was going to. And, And very honestly, part of your problem when you live without faith is that you believe your present moment is it. And so it devastates you when it's not working out. Like, God, where are you? I'm doing all the right things. Why is my life not working out? Third thing, faith connects me to God. It's God is who I came from. God is who I'm going to. And so he just lists all these people, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah. And, and, and honestly, whoever it is that I'm putting my confidence in is who it is that I'm connected to. Listen to how he talks about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four. He says, by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughters. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Why? Why would he do that? Here's why. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He was going somewhere. He was connected to God. It's his faith that did that. Here's the the last implication. Faith lifts, lifts me up so I can see my purpose. Faith lifts me up so I can see my purpose. We need to, we need to go to what Jesus says about faith and how Jesus describes faith and, and what Jesus says the purpose of faith is. And if you wanted to do that, you could go to Luke chapter 17. 
In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is uh, talking to the disciples and he's talking about the difficult things that they're going to endure. And he talks about how they're going to need to forgive people and people are going to do them wrong and they're going to need to forgive them again and they're going to need to figure out how to be a forgiver. And, and the disciples are pretty overwhelmed by this. And they say in Luke 17, they say, Lord, increase our faith. We, we, we can't do that in our own ability. So you're going to have to increase our faith. And then Jesus kind of turns it on them and he explains the purpose of their faith, the kind of person that God is trying to create them to be through their faith. And he tells, he uses this, this parable, this illustration of a servant or a, a, an indentured servant who'd hired themselves out to someone in a household. And this is what he says in Luke 17, verse 6. He says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, hey, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, hey, you, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? The implication is no. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say. Here's, here's what he's saying, the purpose. This is the kind of person God's trying to make you into through your faith. You should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this is not false humility where Jesus is saying you ought to look at yourself and just hate yourself and think your awful things about yourself and tell yourself that you're awful and terrible. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is this is the way that you descend into greatness. What God's doing in you is he's getting you into the place where you're able to say, listen, this was never about me in the first place. I am nothing more than a servant. And in the end, if I've built anything or I've contributed anything or I've done anything or I've been a part of anything, it's only because I'm a servant and I've only done my duty. That's it. That's the only reason. I can't say, look what I did. I'm just a servant who's done my duty. Now, I've got to ask you the question here. Tell me how you shake a person who sees their purpose in life as being that kind of a servant. You don't. Now, life without faith, it would mean all the opposite of these things, wouldn't it? It would mean that life is all about what I'm going through. And if, if life is, if things are not going good, then life isn't good. I'm defined by my circumstances and how well they're going. I, I, then if, 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 uh, if I don't have faith, then that means that I, I do have to use force to change things because I don't know where I'm going. There's, there's no real direction. So you could go back to the Stoics where they said, if a man knows not to which port he sails, no wind is favorable. And that's like a description of life. <laughs> like, I have to use force to get what I think I need in the present moment. And then the only perspective I can possibly have is my perspective. Now, I hope you're paying attention. This is just a description of the world that we live in. People have, don't have faith, and so this is the world we're creating, where it's just my perspective against your perspective, and that's it. Whoever has the most power, force, or money wins. And, and am I connected to anything? I mean, what am I, what, am I connected to the universe? Am I connected to the plants? What, what am I connected to? Am I connected to you? And, and really, my purpose in life is something like I have to fight so that I win, which means that you have to lose because I'm pretty sure the world is win-lose and I don't want to be one of the losers. But we're people of faith. So now what do you do with all of this? Well, you need to keep going because the writer of Hebrews is writing this, this, this list of great people of faith and then he tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, 
of what we're to do with this list. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. Now, if you ever read the word therefore in the Bible, you need to know what the therefore is there for. And the therefore is therefore, this is what he says. He says, I don't want to give you out of this passage um, four questions for your 2022, because he tells us here what we need to do with our faith. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, he's getting ready to walk us into an illustration of a marathon. And he's, he's, he's telling the story of when the marathon runs, the, the runners run out of the stadium. And they run the course like they do at the Olympics today. And then at the end, they come back into the stadium. And in the stadium, in the crowd, is this great cloud of people who have already run the race and are cheering you on to the finish line. You're exhausted. You're not quite sure you're going to make it. But there they are cheering you on. He says, you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They've run the race and they're cheering for you. And he says, so let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me give you two questions out of this part right here. Number one, what's, what's holding me back? What patterns do I need to repent of? What's holding me back? What patterns do I need to repent of? I, I hope you'll write these down, and over the course of 2022, you'd let God work you through the answers to these questions. I promise you'll have a different life, if you do. I ran the, the New York City Marathon in 2007. Fascinating. Uh, one of what's called the, the majors of marathons. Um, and uh, when you run the New York City Marathon, it goes through all five boroughs of New York City, and it starts on Staten Island. The way you get to Staten Island is on a ferry, and so you get up at about 3.30 in the morning, and multiple ferries take you across the harbor uh, from lower Manhattan to Staten Island. It's just packed with people all dressed up, ready to run a marathon with their watches on, backpacks and water bottles. And, and then you get off, and you, you're there, and you wait for about two hours until the race starts. So everyone's all kind of there together, and, and people were dressed, and you know, they, had, they had trash bags over themselves, they had beanies, they had gloves, because it was cold in New York in November, and um, it was cold. And, uh, and, and the race would, would go in waves, and you would go, you were on this kind of little park, and then here was the Staten Island Bridge, and you would go up over the Staten Island, it was the first mile of the marathon, and you would start in waves. And now, I'm, I've never been fast, uh, I was never fast, my goal was just to finish, and and so I'm one of the last waves because, you know, I'm, I'm like the slow, old white men. You know, like that. that's, my, that's my wave. And so I, I'm, I'm running. And as I'm running, I'm noticing that all the runners had been taking off all of those things uh, that they'd been wearing, you know, like the, like the, like the, the, the pull-ups like I'm wearing right now. They, they'd taken that off. And their gloves that were made by Asics that I'd like priced on Amazon for $52. There's a pair of them right there. And there's a beanie, and then there's, I'm on the addition to the trash, and, and what they would do after the race is come and collect all those things, and then they donate. But, you know, I was so tempted, because I, you know, Amazon shopped all this stuff to wear when you run. I was so tempted to shift from my, my, my big race, my big moment, to some shadow mission where I collect things, and I'm like, I'm going to sell these on eBay, right? I'm like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> but the runners had thrown off the things that would hinder them. And it's the temptation that we could skip the race to collect something else and become entangled in another mission on the day of our race. What a metaphor for life. What's holding me back and what patterns do I need to repent of? And then he goes on. And so let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. So here's the question. 
will I keep going? When you train for a marathon, you spend a lot of time by yourself running, and um, you, you train up to about 20 miles. And I'd never run, uh, I'd run one marathon um, when I ran the New York City Marathon, but in my training for that marathon, um, I'd never run more than 20 miles. That's typically what you train up to. So that last six miles, you've never run that far in your life. And what you do is, I, is, you're, is, as much as you're training your body, you're training your mind to keep going when your body tells you, I can't keep going, because you actually can. And so uh, someone gave me a tip. They said, when you're out running and you're by yourself and you know you're going past your street and you know you need to go another five miles, here's what you do, is you look ahead to the mailbox. You identify a mailbox, maybe a quarter of a mile down the road, and you say, I'm just going to make it to that mailbox and then when you get to that mailbox, you look to the mailbox past it, you say, I'm going to get to the next mailbox. And he said, you just keep doing that so that you keep going. <laughs> so you got to ask yourself the question, am I going to keep going? Will I keep going or will I go, ah, just I'm going to quit. Life of faith is too hard. Then he finishes with this. He says, so then we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer, the originator. And the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here's the question. Are my eyes fixed on Jesus? That first marathon that I ran, um, we lived in Virginia at the time on the East Coast, and uh, I was running with some folks who'd run marathons, and they were you know, getting me into all of this, and, and uh, we signed up to run the marathon in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Terrible marathon, um, terrible course. Uh, it's just this big, giant figure eight that you kind of run around multiple times, and you go, oh, I've seen this before, and um, it's pretty, it's just, don't, don't do it, don't do it. But, but I, I'd never run that far before. You know, I, I got trained to 20 miles, and, and if, if you've ever run that distance, you know, you start to hurt. About mile 12, 13, somewhere in there, you just start to hurt. It just starts to ache. And, and by the time you get to mile 20, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. If you've never done it before, you don't know if you can finish the race. And there was a guy, uh, he was uh, the brother-in-law of one of the ladies who was running in our group from our church, and and his name is Dickie. Uh, I don't know how to describe Dickie other than he's a combination of New Jersey and Georgia. <laughs> you took those two cultures and that's Dickie, right? And, and because of the way the course, why well, it was this figure eight course, um, Dickie would run from this place and then he would know, oh, they're going to come around here and I'll catch him over here and I'll cheer him on. And, and all along the way, this is what Dickie would be doing. He'd see me and he'd, he'd do like this. He'd be like, Come on, baby. You got this, baby. Come on, baby. Don't quit, baby. Come on, baby. You got this. You can do this. You can do this. And I still, I mean, it's so emotional. I remember that last mile, he positioned himself just before the finish line. I'm like, I've never, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can finish this race. And there was Dickie. You got this, baby. You got this. You can do this. Come on, you can do it. You got this, baby. The writer of the Hebrews is saying, there is Jesus. There's the great cloud of witness and they're cheering you on. You got this, baby. You can do this, baby. Come on, baby. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't let go. That's right. The finish line's right there. So I got two, I got two asks for you out of this. I, I mean, I hope you'll write these four questions down. I hope you'll wrestle with them. I'm, I'm going to do it in 2022. I'm going to... 
write them down. I'm going to go, Lord, I, I need good answers to those questions. I just got two real simple implications. One is we're wrapping up Faith Promise today, and there's a blue card in your seat, and our goal is to raise $250,000, give it all away um, to the work of Jesus around the globe through the Church of the Nazarene. And many of you have already given thank you. But we're just asking the question, God, if you provided it, uh, what would I give? And, and a lot of you have stepped up already, and some of you still have a moment, and the ushers are coming forward right now, guys, if you would. And um, when you get down here, if you'll go ahead and give them just a second, and then we're going to collect these. I just want you to write the number down, your name, and you're just committing over the next. God, if you give it to me, I'll absolutely give it. I'm making a promise on faith. I, I know where I'm headed. And so I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm a servant along the way, and, and my money is a servant too. So you, you just take and you use it with what you do with it. And then we'll, at the close here, this, we sing a song in a minute. You'll get to see where we're at on our goal. That, that's important. The second one, though, is about you, is you may be a person of, uh, of no faith, and life for you has not had a direction. Life has pretty much been about you, and, and you need a direction. Like, this is your moment, okay? Christmas, Advent 2021, end of the pandemic, you know, we got a new variant coming, but who? this is your moment. You want to become a person of faith. You, listen, it's not, about, it's not about your ability to work something up inside of you. It's who you're pointing your life to. And, and Jesus is who you can point your life to. This could be your moment. For some of you, you just, you've done this for a while. And mm, it's not really been faith. I mean, God's baptized some things that you want to do. Yeah, God, I'm about that. Baptize that, please, in Jesus' name, amen. And, and God's calling you to take some steps and some risks and be uncomfortable in the next season. Now, you understand that Abraham's that father of faith, right? Out of him came a great multitude. Uh, you you don't, don't undersell the power of your obedience to Jesus, you're just going to point your life in his direction. Okay, I'm, I'm re-upping on faith. I'm re-upping on biblical faith. God, forgive me for the way I've tried to make you into a button. I push to get what I want out of my life. And you're going to do that. And that's the implication. Guys, if you'd go ahead and receive those cards now. I'm going to pray for you as those guys uh, receive that. And we're going to sing a song. And then I'll leave you with a, a blessing or a benediction. Would you pray with me? God, thank you uh, that you are the beginning and the end of life. You, 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 you brought us here. You personally wanted each of us. And so you brought us into the world. You were delighted that we were born. Maybe our parents weren't delighted that we were born because of their circumstances, but you were overjoyed at your creation. And Lord, we want to we reclaim that. We've, we've lost our way, many of us. Some of us have never known the way. We've never known you. And in this moment, we want to give our life to you. you just, it's simple. You just say, Jesus, I want to point my life at you. Give me a fresh start. Forgive me for what's been. I, I just need your help. Lead my life, please. 
And Lord, for some of us, we've just done this thing called church for a long time and uh, just gone through the motions. We want to remember our purpose, that we're servants. This is not about us. It was never about us. It's about you. Help us to see again the joy and the fulfillment, that, that the paradox of the, the joy and fulfillment that, is, that fills our heart when we realize that we were made for you and not just for us. So Lord, we re-up. We, we sign up again to be people of faith. People who go when you say go. You're the secure base. You're the, you're the place we start out of. So Lord, we, we, we re-up again. Now, Lord, thank you for these gifts that uh, so many people in this wonderful church have given for the work of your kingdom around the world. Bless them, multiply them, the, the lives that will physically and eternally be saved, we are already grateful for. Thank you for letting us uh, be a part of what it is that you're about. Thank you for thinking so highly of us that you include us in your mission and you invite us to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, again, we, the words of Habakkuk, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. In our day, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh God, the great heritage of faith of this church. Oh Lord, let our next days, our next season, our next generation be the most faithful generation yet. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.